This is a reminder that you are made for Mondays. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. Last week, we started out this series talking about our work, said a few things to catch us up to speed. We talked about how your work is God's will. That's right. Your work is God's will. Work is good. It was part of the plan before the fall in creation. God has a plan for you to work. It's an eternal plan, by the way. And we talked about how work is God's will. We also talked about how your work is your worship. Everything that you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. Your work is your worship. We talked about how your work determines your reward. A lot of people don't know this. They think, well, as long as I'm saved, you know, I'm not going to be judged for my sins, and so I don't have to worry about that. But there's more than one judgment written about in Scripture, and the Bible tells us one day God's going to reward us at the judgment seat of Christ based on the work that we did. Your work determines your reward. And finally, we talked last week about this reality. Your work is your calling. Even the word vocation, vocare, it, it means the upward call of God. It started out as a, a church word, talking about clergy, talking about people like Pastor Chris. He's called. But then the church understood that all of our work is a calling, not just what we do in the church or for the church. Everything we do is for the Lord, and so we all have a call from God on our lives. So I want to encourage you, if you want one of these mugs, you can get one out there. Once they're sold out, they're sold out. So get one while you can. Today, I want to jump right back into this thought of how you and I are made for Mondays. And I know we've prayed a lot in this service, but I just want to take a moment right here because I got a lot to say and not a lot of time to say it in. So uh, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would just impart a truth in your heart, in your life. Would you pray that with me? God, right now, we just, again, we open up ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our ears to your word. God, we position ourselves under the exalted place that belongs to Christ alone. We ask you to speak your word to us today. Sharpen us, Lord, in your presence. Prepare us for what you have for us this week. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Number one, if you're a note taker, number one, rest makes you ready. I know we're talking about made for Monday. It feels weird to start with rest, but this is an important one. Rest makes you ready. The Bible word is Sabbath. Maybe you've heard of the Sabbath day. It's one of the Ten Commandments, probably the one we break more than any other. Keep the Sabbath day holy. The Bible says in Romans 12, like this, it says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing, and acceptable. This is your reasonable act of worship unto the Lord. Offer your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Not a dying sacrifice, a living sacrifice So rest is a part of God's plan. You know, the story goes like this. There were some European missionaries that were in Africa, and they were trying to take some merchandise to a a remote village, and so they hired some of the locals to be porters, to carry the stuff for them. So they take off on the the first couple days, and, and the journey is not moving too quickly. And so at the campfire that night, they they rally around, you know, all of their porters and they you know, have this motivational speech about how we got to get, get going. We got to get this out here to the people in need. And so the next day they sped up. And the second day and the third day, they went twice as fast and twice as far as they had when they started. So they're sitting around the campfire that night and, you know, these missionaries are kind of patting themselves on the back and, man, you know, 
didn't we do a great job really motivating these guys? And man, we're going to get there. It's going to be great. And then the next morning, they got up and they got ready to leave. But the locals that were transporting the goods didn't move. They said, come on, guys. We got, we got to get going. We got to get moving. And they, they said, no, we can't go today. And he said, look, all the, all the ground that we gained, all the time that we made, we, we got to get going. What's wrong? I mean, everybody looks healthy. Everybody seems in good health. Why can't we go? And the men said back to them, they said, yes, we moved quickly, but we went so quickly yesterday that we must wait here for our souls to catch up with us. And I just wonder today if there's anyone in the room or online that needs to slow down a little bit to let your soul catch up with you. And maybe, maybe you're hearing this and you're feeling like, I don't really feel like I'm made for Mondays. And maybe the reason you don't feel like you're made for Mondays is because you didn't Sabbath on Sunday. Listen, let me tell you something about Sabbath, about rest. When you go back to Genesis and and you read the story of creation, we see that six days it took for God to create everything. And on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. And a lot of times we can look at that and we can say, well, that's the pattern for our lives. You work hard all week and then after all the work is done and you got everything complete, then you can kind of collapse and you can rest. But can I just remind all of us, church, in that story, in that example, you're not God (laughs) and neither am I, okay? So think about where man falls in the story of creation. Man was created on the sixth day, not the first. And so essentially, God creates everything. He does all of the work, and then he creates man, and then he calls a Sabbath. So think about it. God does all the work. He creates everything, and the first thing, not the last thing, the first thing man is called to do is to rest. To not rest because you're exhausted and you deserve a break and you should put your feet up because you work so hard. No, to rest in this reality that while I was sleeping, while I was doing nothing, God went before me and God prepared everything. God made a way. He supplied my needs. He provided for me. He's created all the opportunities for my success while I rested. Come on, isn't that a good view of Sabbath? I mean, God wants to help you to see that Sabbath and rest is not just about recovery and recuperation. All of a sudden, when you understand that God is working while you're resting, it becomes a statement of faith. That's why you can get up on Sunday morning and you can give tithe unto the Lord. You can give in the offering, not because you realize that, hey, Friday came and went and there's a little bit left over. No, you start on Sunday and you say, I'm going to make a statement today with my faith to say, God is faithful. God's already gone before me. He knows what this week holds. He knows about my job security. He knows about the, he knows all that stuff. I don't know any of it, but he's already there. And so I can rest knowing that he's working and I can worship and I can serve him. God wants you to have that understanding that you can actually rest because rest will make you ready. You know, rest is a a great tonic for workaholics. You need to be able to rest. Listen, your identity does not hinge on what you do. I mean, if you think it does, and a lot of people are that way, if you think your identity is, is, is grounded in what you do, no wonder you can't take a break. I mean, no wonder you can't stop pedaling the wheels. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a rat race, and you're, you're just trying to keep up the appearances and the expectations, and, and so you just keep going and you keep working. But the reality is your identity is not in what you do. God did not create human doings. 
right? He created human beings. Your identity is in him and who he's called you to be and the things that he's called you to do. Now, listen, I, I don't want to say that in a dogmatic way. In other words, when I say you ought to Sabbath, a lot of us, especially those that have kind of grown up in the church, we immediately think about Sunday and, and you know, maybe even the old Jewish custom of, you know, when the sun goes down, you know, on Saturday night, like the work's done and you don't really do anything until Sunday night, you know, when, when the sun goes down again. But listen, I, I'm not being dogmatic. I know some people, you work on Sunday. Maybe, maybe you're watching online from work. Some people have to work on Sunday. I get that. I work on Sunday. It's funny how people never think of that. Deion Sanders, you know, Hall of Fame football player, preached at his church, and afterwards he told his pastor, he said, that was more exhausting than a Super Bowl. I said, amen. That's right. Primetime knows it's work. And so what I'm saying is you have to find time to rest in God's faithfulness. You know, for me, I, I, I like mowing my lawn on Sunday afternoon. Now, I know some people kind of old school, like, you can't, you can't do that, preacher. You know, because I live in the church parsonage, everybody knows it's the preacher's house. Even if they don't go to this church, they're like, <gasps> they drive by looking at me like, you're not supposed to work on the Lord's day. I'm like, how do you know that verse? You don't even go to church, you know. <laughs> But you know what? But you know what? It, it, it is restful for me. Because I work at a desk. Some of you guys, you work hard. You got dirt under your nails. Your hands are permanently greased. Mine are not, man. I got baby hands. You know, I hold a pen. I type on a keyboard. So, like, for me to get out and, and push the lawnmower, I love it. It is Sabbath for me. You know what I found out? Nobody but Jesus can talk to me when the lawnmower is running. I love that. I'm just like, man, I just go into the secret place. Leave me alone. But God wants you to have a moment of rest. He wants you to hear his voice and to lean in to his faithfulness for your life. You got to understand that God has a pattern for your effectiveness, and we can't abuse that. You were, you were made for Monday, but rest makes you ready. Rest prepares you for God's assignment. And, and by the way, you do have an assignment. God has an assignment for you. Let me give you the second thing. Mondays are for ministry. I want you to get that mindset in your head when you see this phrase, made for Mondays. Mondays are for ministry. Last week, uh, I, I talked about how your work is your worship, but let me tell you the, the impetus behind this today. I'm trying to push back against a mindset, a philosophy of thinking that is still trying to just invade the church in 2020. I'm pushing back against this concept of dualism. And dualism is it's basically a perversion of, of what Jefferson said, the separation of church and state. Dualism is, is this idea of all of life being separated into two categories, the secular and the sacred. Dualism has this idea that, that there are things that are spiritual activities. We would call this moment one of those. We're in church. That's a spiritual place. It's a spiritual activity. We're worshiping this book. It's a spiritual book. And we have that understanding of things that are sacred. But then we have the, the secular side too. And maybe that's the place where you work because you're not blessed like me to work at a spiritual place. So you got to go to a secular job. 
And you, you go there and you use secular books and they don't read like this book and, and it's a secular space. And that idea of, of religious dualism, it, it has the idea that if, if life is a pie, a good Christian per- person says, you know, God has a big slice of the pie. Can I tell you today, if your perspective is that God has a big slice, even the biggest slice of the pie of your life, then that's a dualistic mindset. Because God doesn't want a slice of the pie. He didn't die for a slice of the pie. He ransomed your whole life. He wants you to give him everything. There's no sacred and secular. There's no compartmentalization. You don't put your faith in one bucket and your hobbies in another bucket. You put your family relationship over here and your work relationship over here. Come on, somebody. God has a plan for your whole life. And he wants you to understand that the things that you're called to do on Monday, you're just as called to do as I'm called to do what I'm doing right now. Mondays are for ministry. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 31. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Can we just read that last phrase out loud together? Do it all for the glory of God. That's what he's calling us to. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us about the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church in what we call the five-fold ministry. It says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He gave them, verse 12 says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Don't think that the fivefold ministry are the real ministers and that anybody else is doing something less than. Because Paul didn't believe that. Paul said, do it all for the glory of God. More than that, Jesus didn't believe that. So pay attention to what it says. It didn't say, it didn't say that he gave these apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists to do the ministry. It says he gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I, I love the way that A.W. Tozer described this dichotomy of sacred and secular in his book, The Pursuit of God, look at this statement. He said, it is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It's why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart, and he can thereafter do no common act. Isn't that powerful? He's saying, if you've sanctified the Lord in your heart, if everything you do, you do as unto the Lord, you can't walk into a secular space. It does not exist because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he dwells in you and his power dwells in you. And so when you walk into what we might say is a secular space, it's sacred now. Jesus just walked into that place. You embody his presence. And I love that statement. The motive is everything. So listen. Hear this today. You don't have to change your career to answer your call. God has a plan for you. Even those of you that that don't, you haven't started your career yet, you're in college or you're in high school or middle school, you don't have to wait to delay answering God's call. He has a plan for you right now. And sometimes we get so fixated on, on 
what it is we're going to do or where it is we're going to do it or how it is we're going to do it. And we say, oh, God, what's your will? What's your plan? What's your call for my life? And can I just tell you today, God is most concerned with who it is, not the what, the when, the where, who. Who are you in whatever you're doing? Why? Because the motive is everything. And as Tozer said, you sanctify the Lord in your heart, you can thereafter do no common act. I was thinking about football this week. It's football season again. And um, I like watching college football games that I've pre-recorded. Not because I want to know who won before it started. I don't want to know who wins. But I'll tell you why I like it. I like watching them pre-recorded because I've discovered that, that I have this 30-second forward button on my remote. And if I wait till the play ends and the ref blows the whistle and I hit that 30-second forward button, I can skip the huddle. And they're right back at the line of scrimmage for the next play. So I don't, have to, I don't have to just sit through the huddle time while the commentators are, you know, filling space. I can just watch the game, and I can just keep skipping the huddle, and I can stay in the action. Can I just say to you that there's a lot of Christians who have never moved beyond the Sunday experience when it comes to following Jesus. Can, can I tell you what this is, what we're doing right now? We're in the huddle. Now, in the huddle, usually the quarterback does most of the talking. He calls the play, and I'm communicating to you what I heard from the head coach this week, what he wanted me to tell you, how he wants us to act. But this is the huddle. Now, listen, I'm not telling you to skip the huddle. <laughs> Don't skip the huddle. But what I'm, I'm saying this to, to communicate to you, how foolish would it be if I turned on Saturday's pre-recorded game and I skipped the play? And I just watched the team stand in the huddle. And then when they broke the huddle and they went to the line of scrimmage, I just skipped that play. And I watched them stand in the huddle. It's no wonder that some Christians think serving Jesus is boring. You've never broken out of the huddle and actually been a part of a play. Come on, God has something for you to do. Let's break the huddle. You were made for Mondays. And Monday is for ministry. Wrestle, get you ready. Mondays are for ministry. Here's the third thing I want you to know today. Your character gives you a platform. Your character gives you a platform. If it is true that Monday through Friday, or whatever your schedule might be, is for ministry, then hear this. Your conduct matters. Your conduct matters. Your integrity, it matters. Your honesty, it matters. Why? Because you're in full-time ministry. Because you're not, you're not in a different compartment of your life. Because as Paul said in Colossians, Christ, who is your life? Your integrity, it matters. Here's what Peter said. One of Jesus' closest friends in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, said, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Can I tell you when he wrote that? He wasn't teaching a class at seminary. This wasn't a letter to pastors. 
This was to the church. This was to everybody. Isn't it funny how we can have one set of standards and expectations for people in ministry, sacred, but then for everybody that's in the secular, those Christians, we have a different set of standards? Is it just me that notices that? Maybe, maybe it's, I just, you know, we had a guy come to the church two weeks ago, an electrician. He was working here at the church, and I'm standing there talking to him the one morning, and we were working on the drop ceiling job, and he said, man, I, I never met a preacher so relaxed before, man. It's just tripping me out. I just, I don't, I don't know how to take you. And I thought, well, I don't know how to take that comment. Like, what do you want me to do? We're hanging drywall. Did you want me to wear a suit? I mean, should I have my Bible under my arm, you know, while I'm cutting drop ceiling tiles? What did you expect? But I know what he meant. For some reason, you know, we, we have it in our mind. They're like, oh, you're, you're in the ministry. So what are you, you going to be a little more stoic? You know, I was wearing a hat that day. Why not? I didn't want insulation in my hair. But, you know, for him... And some of you, you know what I'm talking about, because this happened to you. You went to introduce somebody to me, and you said, oh, this is my pastor. And they had that mentality. I don't know if it's because of Santa Claus or Gandalf, but the idea was older is more holy. And so they saw me, and they're like, oh, really? You're the pastor. Like, they're shocked. Like, why not? I'm in my 40s, man. Leave me alone. How long do I have to do this before you're not surprised that I'm a preacher of the gospel? But I know that's not about me. That's about them. It's that attitude that, you know, there's the sacred and there's the secular. And you're wearing jeans, so you obviously must be in the secular. The truth is, how you conduct yourself, it matters as much as it matters to me. How I conduct myself, it matters. The reason it matters is because we're made for Monday. Because ministry happens when we exit the building. When we break the huddle and we go to the line of scrimmage and we say, okay, God, it's time to execute a plan. It's time to fulfill your will in my life. And maybe the greatest rebuttal against this religious dualism mentality of things that are holy over here and secular and worldly over here, the spiritual and the carnal, maybe the greatest rebuttal is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus was preaching, he gave an analogy of salt. And he said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I, I want to illustrate this. I, I brought a little snack. I hope you don't mind, but I brought a snack with me today, and thank you, Macy. I got some pizza rolls here, and uh, truth be told, they probably don't need any salt, but go with me. <laughs> go with me on the analogy. If I was going to eat these pizza rolls and add a little salt to them, I, I would want to season it, right? I would want to season it, and that's the picture that Jesus gives of you and I being the salt of the earth. That we add the, the seasoning. Now, I, I'm saying this because I don't want you to hear this message wrong. Because I, I know a lot of believers that, you know, they'd hear a sermon about how God's called you to your workplace and you're to reach the lost and reach your coworkers. And so you're going to get all wound up. You're going to get all excited. And you're going to leave here this weekend and you're going to show up at work tomorrow and be like, let me tell you what the Lord told me this weekend. <laughs> you're going to just go all out, you know. Somebody's going to say, I think I'm going to head to the water cooler. I need a drink. You need a drink of living water is what you need. 
Did anybody see my keys? I know where to find the keys of the kingdom. That's what you need, right? And we just want to, we want to pour out all, and it, it, it ruins the meal. It ruins the atmosphere. And I know none of them are in the 11 a.m. service, but have you met a Christian like that? I mean, you've met some like that, right? But he said, season with salt. Be the salt of the earth. You have opportunities every day in conversation. You know, you might have a coworker. You say, hey, how was your weekend? Man, it was tough. You know, we had, we had to put, put my dad in a, in a nursing home this weekend. Man, there's an opportunity. You could do one of two things in that moment. You could do, well, you could do a lot of things. You could just, you know, be the chameleon Christian and go, oh, wow, I'm sorry. You know, you're supposed to be the salt, so you don't want to pour it on people, but at the same time, if you've been there five years and nobody knows you're a Christian, you know, pour harder, <laughs> add a little more salt. But sometimes, I mean, if we're honest, we, we kind of Jesus juke the moment. You know, we just like let them know that I'm a little spiritual, but I'm not actually going to take a step of faith. And so we go, oh, wow, I'll be praying for you. You know, and we're out. But man, if you would just be salt in that moment, maybe it would sound like this. Oh, I'm so sorry. Man, can I just, can I pray for you? And then pray a 10-second prayer right there. You don't even have to close your eyes. But just say, God, I just, I pray that you would help them. I, I can't imagine how difficult this is. Lord, give them your peace. Help them to know that they're doing the best thing they can for their family. Salt. But God calls us in those moments to be the salt of the earth. You know, the truth is most people don't, care to read the Bible because they've already read the believers. Yeah, you know, I don't really want to investigate anymore. I've seen enough. Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And then in verse 16, he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's God's plan, that they would see your good deeds. I heard a guy recently say, outreach is the new marketing. And I thought, well, that's true in the sense that, you know, people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and they want to see action, and that's the world we live in. Like, what are you doing? Don't, don't tell me about your beliefs. Do something. And so I, I, I agree with that statement that, that outreach is the new marketing, but I don't agree with the part that he said it's new because Jesus told us way back in the Sermon on the Mount that this is the way. He said, let your good works shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He said, be the salt of the office. Be the light of the campus. Let your light shine before others. I love, I love the way that Eugene Peterson translated Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 in the message translation. You're going to love this. If you've ever heard it before, here's what he said. Let me tell you why you are here. This is Matthew 5, 13, the message. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out God flavors in the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness, and you'll end up in the garbage. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? 
can I can encourage you to just don't lose your saltiness. Again, you don't have to pour it on people when they, when they start talking about what they did this weekend and, and all of a sudden like a verse comes into your mind and, and you know they shouldn't do that and now you know why and you're so tempted to like pull your Bible out and just be like, what were you thinking? You don't act that way. Rain it in. <laughs> Go, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to blister them with all of the things they're doing wrong. I, I wouldn't get mad or surprised that a dog barks because dogs bark. And sinners sin. So I don't know why Christians get so shocked when sinners do sinful things. But I'm going to be salt in the moment. I'm going to be an influence. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And, and if you've got your Bible, I want you to put your eyes on a page in Colossians chapter 4. I want to show you one more verse, and then we're going to just respond to what I feel the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to us today. But in Colossians chapter 4, Paul, the apostle, who wrote half the New Testament, asked for prayer. And if Paul, the apostle, asked for prayer about something, I think it's pretty significant. So here's what it says. He said, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. I just think it's incredible. I mean, Paul is the greatest missionary that ever lived. Paul was a brilliant theologian, scholar. He had such a grasp on salvation. He wrote the book of Romans. And Paul said, pray that God would open a door for our message. Maybe maybe you work at a place and you've been thinking about it all through this message. And, and your, your first thought is, that's not going to fly in my workplace. Maybe your first thought is, you know what, I've tried before. I've tried to witness to my coworkers. They shut me down. They told me I don't want to hear it. Or maybe it's some other reason, but in your heart, you're thinking, there, there's just no way. I, like, there's no way I can reach the people I work If you knew the people I work with, I mean, there's, there's sacred, there's secular, and then there's my coworkers. <laughs> you know, maybe you're thinking that way. Can I just encourage you to do what Paul did? He asked the church to pray that God would open a door. You can't make a seed grow. You can put it in the ground. You can water it. You can't make it grow. And so even Paul said, pray that God opens the door for the message. And some of you need to do that. You need to pray that God opens the door for you in your workplace, in your relationships. And then look at the next verse. Paul said this, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Again, I'm trying to read between the lines, but I just wonder why Paul said, he was so capable. Why would Paul say, pray that, that I proclaim it clearly? I think we've all been around Christians enough to know we know what we're like there is a right way and a wrong way to proclaim the gospel blowing somebody up in a Facebook gripe is probably not the right way but I just can't help but wonder if Paul was tempted because you know I mean if you were going to have a debate Paul's going to win that debate I mean the guy was brilliant I just can't help but wonder if maybe He was thinking about his own tendency to want to just, you know, dump the whole bottle on him. 
just pour all the salt out. He said, pray that I do it the way I should. And some of us need to pray that way. And the reason I think that maybe Paul was thinking like that is because of what he said right after that. He said, pray that I proclaim it as I should. And then he goes on to give them this word of encouragement in verse 5. He says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of it. Some of you, that that needs to be your response to this message today. Say, God, you know, there's moments where I'm the one, I'm guilty. And and I'm, I'm not speaking hypothetically, I'm telling you, I'm guilty. There are times where somebody shared a need in their life and I said, I'll pray for you. But I didn't actually pray for them. There's times where God speaks a word to you and you're like, you know, I should say that. No, they might think it's weird. And then you don't say anything. And and that one moment turned into like a hundred moments. And now you've been working with these people for a long time. They don't even know that Jesus is the Lord of your life. But your prayer today needs to be, God, help me to make the most of every opportunity. And then last word, verse six, he says this, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What a great prayer to pray. Lord, help me. Help my words to be full of grace, seasoned with salt. So today, I want us to respond to this challenge with the words that we sang earlier. And I want you to get a picture in your mind. In just a moment, we're going to sing out, I exalt thee. Lord, I exalt thee. And, And I don't want you to keep him in this sacred space that we call Sunday morning worship. I want you to think about the rest of this week. I want you to think about your drive or your commute or your campus or, or, or your kids that you're home taking care of, whatever it looks like for you. And I want you to just go there in your mind and go ahead and make a decision right now to say, God, I exalt you there. I exalt you there.